This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. This is Coach Jen in Ocala, Florida. And I am Christy Landwehr from Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for Tuesday, episode 2872. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Good Tuesday morning to you, and I do mean a good Tuesday morning. Well, if you insist on being accurate about it. You know, only somebody with perfect comedic timing could produce this much energy in one shot. You gotta learn that your time in the saddle ain't as rough as a life in between. And the fence isn't there for you to straddle. And you can't change horses in the middle of your dream. Welcome back, Christy. Third Tuesday of every month, we get together with Christy Landwehr from the Certified Horsemanship Association and geek out on all things riding instructor, something a little different. We do. It's very fun. You know, there is a difference between a trainer and an instructor. One may be more introverted, one may be more extroverted, depending, and many other differences as well. That's right. And the CHA has been around since... 1967. And no, I did not found the organization. I was not born then. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Now, the CHA always has stuff going on. What's going on currently with CHA? Because you are a busy group. We like to do stuff. Yes. So we are looking for new host sites. Anyone listening that you think you might want to host one of our certifications and you have at least 10 school horses that go both English and Western, you can give us a holler. Or if you are a barn owner or have lots of horses on your property, we like 20 or more so that we can have a conversation in our equine facility manager certification about different breeds, confirmation faults blemishes and unsoundnesses, colors, markings, all that good stuff. So if you have a variety of those types of things going on, give us a holler. Just go to CHA.horse or you can just email us at office at CHA.horse and we'll tell you more about hosting and you can maybe make some money. Woohoo! And what else? Looks like you've got something going on with the AQHA. What's that? Coming up in a couple of weeks, I get to go to Vegas. So I don't know if that's good or bad. I guess My answer is that I've been to Vegas a lot. Back in the day, I think I had a lot more fun in Vegas. Now I'm like, oh, yay, Vegas, but going to Vegas. And the American Quarter Horse Association Convention is kind of exciting. We are um, kind of a proponent of a new rule change that hopefully will get passed in Quarter Horse, Paints, USEF, kind of all here in the next few years on letting amateurs actually have a little bit of compensation if they're teaching beginners to ride and they're not taking them to horse shows. Interesting. Well, that would be very useful because there's a lot of people out there who teach, you know, half a dozen lessons a month to little up-downers in their neighborhood and are really a key... um, introduction to equestrianism in so many parts of the country. And I, th- I think that's, that's a good idea. We need to support those people. 
Well, I think it'd be great. I think we're going to end up seeing more amateurs in the show pen because the people that do get compensated, say, at the Girl Scout camp or the Lesson Barn program for teaching up downs, that that's how they make their living or their part-time gig, and they can't be amateur right now, I think will. And then I think you're going to see more opportunities for people to learn how to ride. And as we all know, the riding instruction business right now is booming. People want to take riding lessons. They want to be outside. They want to be physically fit, get their vitamin D. And and there's a lot of barns that are just full and have a wait list. So I think this would open up some spots for um, parents to take their kids or for beginning adults to find a safe place to go ride. Cool. Well, speaking of which, we are going to talk with Santa Rowling, one of our guests, as well as Debbie Holmes about riding and riding structuring right after we hear from our sponsor, which is Horse Report System. Equestrian professionals are busy, really busy, keeping client and owners abreast of training progress and updating care teams on care plans takes time and plenty of it. That's where the concept of horse report system originated, a centralized system that could help busy trainers easily communicate with their team and with each horse's owner about training and health needs. Horse report system is robust. Based on input from professionals at the elite level of equine sports, Horse Report System includes everything a busy professional needs to keep their horses in top form and their owners engaged in the horse's progress. And Horse Report System is continuously evolving to provide equestrians of every level and every discipline with the most convenient and user-friendly way to provide optimal care for their horses and easy communication with their team. You can learn more or sign up today at horsereportsystem.com. Excited about today's show, we are going to learn more about working with clients with disabilities from a program side as well as the instructor angle. We're going to talk with clients that have cognitive or talk about clients and how you teach them that have cognitive as well as physical needs and how to have horses help in this process. And you know, this is a really booming part of the horse industry right now is this equine assisted activities and equine assisted learning and all these things. It's a, it's a big deal. So our first guest today is going to be Santa Rowling. Santa is a lifelong horse lover. She found her way to CHA through the San Jacinto Girl Scouts in 1983, becoming a CHA certified certified instructor herself also in the 80s. She has continued to grow and thrive in the horse industry ever since. Today, Santa is about to turn 79 and she is still riding and teaching. She teaches a horsemanship program in the therapeutic riding industry on the northwest corner of the Bush International Airport in Houston, Texas. So stop, talk about the location and it is called Green Dream Catcher Stables. Santa, we are so excited to have you on the show today. Go ahead and let everyone know exactly where you live there in Texas. I live about four crow miles north of Bush Intercontinental Airport in the Houston, Texas area. My unincorporated area is actually called Springs. So it is a very busy area where you have mass population all around you. Oh, yes. I'm in, I'm in a, sub, a subdivision, and Houston is growing out. They haven't incorporated me yet, but there's blocks all around me that are. So uh, Houston only takes in what makes the money, the houses they don't care about. <laughs> They're and smart that way. All are disappearing. There's yes. Two new subdivisions going around me, so I've got another about 1,500 homes going up real close to where I live. 
you sound like where I live in Aurora, Colorado. I have the same exact thing happening. I think it's a what's going on. It's just what's happening. It's what's happening. People don't want to be in a shaking quake anymore. Yes, that's true. So <laughs> tell us, Miss Santa, a little bit more about how horses have impacted your life. I've been around horses since the age of three or four. The Our family had friends who were uh, the barn, barn and show complex office um, facility, uh, managers for a man who was quite wealthy. He ran, he owned a radio station in Chicago and his kids showed fine harness and three and five David horses. And I got to play in the pasture and everybody panicked when they saw me standing underneath the horse <laughs> or being the Pied Piper of Hamlet. My parents weren't wealthy. We were just making a living. My parents, and this is back in the 50s, 40s. My parents made a total of $12,000 a year. And I wanted to earn the horsewoman badge. So we found a stable. And I got to take lessons. I was agree- guaranteed that I'd get the badge. I stayed on as a volunteer, call it a stable bum, at French Record School of Horsemanship. And learned hunter jump or learned hunt seat is what I was told. I came to figure out that it was really classical riding is what we were taught. And our stable owner went on to move to Minnesota and own one of the first 10 performing liposoners in the United States of America. Wow. I, I connected back to that information through CHA at one of our conferences. Small world. Very small world. And by that time, my uh, stable owner was in Arizona and battling cancer, and she did pass away from cancer. Always thinking that maybe she'd done wrong by letting those of us that were her stable bums be around horses. Not true. After high school, of course, I had to go to college. Well, my, my mom would not let me go to the one college that I knew of, Francis Scheiner, who had, was a horse college. I was allowed to get a degree, but not a degree in cats, hats, coats, and dinner pails. I had to get a degree in something that was useful that I could make a living with. So today I have an associate bachelor's in life sciences, a year of veterinary school, which I flunked out of, a bachelor's in biology, and a thesis master's in organic chemistry. Oh, my. Most people don't like organic chemistry, and you got a degree in it? (laughs) Most people don't even like the class. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Went on to become a teacher at the age of 58, and meanwhile, I had started working with, as a Girl Scout leader, we moved to Texas, to Houston in particular, got involved with the Girl Scout Council. We had a horse camp. And being from Chicago originally, when I saw this bunch of volunteers all dressed in English boots, I said, and so why don't we have any English saddles? The real answer to that is, this is Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) 
so uh, not long after that, the San Jacinto Girl Scout Council sent a bunch of us to through CHA at Peach Creek Ranch. And I was one of those who got to go through. And thus began my career, real career with horses, because now I heard leaders of Girl Scouts say, we're not allowed to ride our entire group because some of them are disabled. So I taught San Jacinto Girl Scout Council that girls with disabilities can ride horses. And told them in order to ride, they had to have English saddles. Very good. So they bought the English saddles. And then they wouldn't let me use the English saddles. (laughs) (laughs) Volunteers wouldn't. But I went on and I started the special education riding program with San Jacinto Girl Scouts. From there, a lady from Connecticut moved here and started a program called Sire. Her husband was an airline pilot. And she wanted to do school day programming. I'd already done school day programming in spring ISD with the Girl Scouts. And so she got me involved as a volunteer in her organization to run the school programming. We did it for a year with a grade school class, fourth grade class of behavior students. They, of the 10, seven finished the year at the school and the next year, six of them went back to regular education classes at the beginning of the year and the seventh made it by before the end of the year. Nice. Total success. And the instructor for the writing portion of that was a gentleman from, I want to say Colombia, uh, somewhere in South America. He had been on the Olympic team for his country. Wow. Colonel Perea. I'm never forgetting because he taught the kids to transfer from horse to horse without ever leaving, getting on the ground. Military style, of course. Uh-huh. I kept the program safe. And from there, people said, do this for boys and girls. I mean, Girl Scouts do it for adults. So I branched out on my own and formed an organization, which was taken away from me because I put the wrong person on my board. And they said it would never work. August 23rd of 1999, we formed Dreamcatcher Stables with the athletes from that program. Three ladies are the organizers. We started over, and it does work. Twenty, Almost 23 years later, we have a real shed row barn and a real building to have an office in, and I'm speaking to you from that building, and we're living on airport property. So if you accidentally hear some noise overhead, there might be a plane taking off and the room may or may not be uh, sufficiently soundproof. 
I think that's awesome because then you are right near the hub of people that need you. I think one of the hardest things sometimes for families whose children want to ride is finding the time in their schedules or for some families, even the gas money to be able to take them out into the country to ride. Right. So the fact that you're in the big city doing it is awesome. That is the big problem. And that is why I'm here where I am. Uh, I was on this for 17 years, over 17 years. I was on the southeast corner of the airport, but not on airport property. And when investors said, you have to get off, we didn't have enough money to buy property of our own. I knew where there was property in this general area, but I needed $5 million. I had 106000 Yeah, that's a lot. Yep. We're still working on that $5 million. At least now we have a home where the horses horses have a beautiful set of 12 by 12 stalls, 14 foot ceilings, and a roof over the head during the rain. So you made it work. So, so Santa, let's chat a little bit about um, if people are listening right now and they're interested in starting a program like you have created there at Dreamcatchers. You know, we know that in the industry, the EAAT and EAA, so Equine Assisted Activities and Therapies, Equine Assisted Activities, Equine Assisted Learning, obviously there's a lot of terminology there um, that means different things. And we're going to have Debbie on next and she's going to dive into that terminology a little bit so we don't have to. But go ahead and let folks know about how they get started, because I think there might be others out there that really want to help and serve in this way with their horses. What are some ideas for them? Okay, there's a couple of easy ways to get started. The first thing you have to do in any business is decide whether you're going to be for profit or nonprofit. Yep. And then file the paperwork. Um, I am a nonprofit, I'm a public charity. And I'm a Guide Star Platinum. Um, great nonprofits. We have a five-star rating, which we've had for six years. Before that, we didn't even <laughs> try and write reviews uh, because we just didn't think about it. Starting out doing the doing the paperwork, deciding to file the the ten the ten twenty three, I think is what it's called. That's the first part. Deciding what you want to do, that's the real crux of it, and writing a mission statement, whether you're going to be for-profit or non-profit. What's your mission? Our mission is to teach people with disabilities and youth at risk to ride and care for horses. Point blank. We don't do therapy as such because we're not qualified, certified to do that. And that's one of the things you have to consider in this industry. If you want to bill insurance companies, then you need therapists of whatever sort to do their thing with your horses. If all you want to do is teach horseback riding, you actually, though today is well, a real that Path International does a marvelous marketing job. So being part of Path International is not a bad thing at all. But what you really, truly need is to be a riding instructor. Uh, One of our now deceased board members said, 
And you don't need more than standard because what you're doing is teaching horsemanship. And that's right. That's what I'm doing every day. I just segment the country, so I'm only teaching it to people with disabilities or use at risk. And use at risk is defined as those kids that are dropping out of school like flies and going to wind up in jail the rest of their lives or dead. So make your decision. Now, are you a teacher? Do you love to teach? Because the, se- the secret to this whole organization I have isn't necessarily me, per se. It's how I think. I meet my riders where they are. If all they need to be able to survive in life is a pony ride, I give them a pony ride. Somebody handles the horse, and when we get on horses here for the first time, there's always two people to act as sidewalkers and a horse handler until we know what's going to happen. Some of your people with disabilities will bail off a horse real fast just because they feel like bailing off a horse. Some of them are terrified, and some of them have lousy balance. Lousy balance requires sidewalkers to make sure that they're not going to fall to the ground. And I teach all my sidewalkers, you have one goal. Keep them on the horse. If they have to fall off, you have to be underneath and they land on you. What do you want to teach? Are you somebody who wants to take kids to Special Olympics? Then go that route. Work with the kids with intellectual disabilities. Teach them to ride a horse to the best of their ability. And focus on the events of Special Olympics. And I am a Special Olympics coach. I was the World Games coach of 1995 and took three riders that I had never taught from Texas to Connecticut to compete. It was an interesting and challenging and wonderful time. What do you need next? You need horses. And I look at People and I say, what I want there is the been there, done that. Christy, I know you compete, and a lot of our folks in CHA do, and a lot of people out there do. Let me tell you a little bit about Dreamcatcher Stables Herd. I have a quarter horse who did nothing in his life but ride trails. He rode the big rodeo trail rides with the saltgrass trail. Needed a home. Because dad, the owner could not ride anymore on his horse. I have a registered, a registered Arabian. Started life as a racehorse, became an endurance horse. And my hoof trimmer loved him to death, couldn't afford him. Somebody bought him and gave him to her. When I had two old horses that could no longer service and to be put down, she gave me triumph. I just got a thoroughbred. He was a racehorse. He placed second a couple of times and third a couple of times. And he wasn't really good at it. But he was then trained in three-day eventing. And it turned out he had a lousy farrier. So because he couldn't pass the uh, pre-purchase vet exam, because they thought he was going to go navicular, I was given a beautiful horse named Charlie Has Heart. In December, my hoof trimmer took off the plaster shoes that they'd put on him because, yes, he was in cast because he couldn't keep shoes on his feet. And all he has is ingrown toenails. Nobody bothered to trim the bars. 
Nice. So now you have him. Good for you. Okay. He's happy. He's sound. And he's headed for the rodeo. I have two warm bloods. The first one I got because she was trained one level below Olympic dressage. And every time she went in a show ring, she blew up. (laughs) The owner said, this isn't worth it. Called me and said, you want a dressage horse? Oh, yes, I do. At the age of eight, I wanted to know what was wrong with it. She told me. I said, bring the horse. She's been here ever since. And a few years afterwards, when her daughter was on the East Coast and more lame than sound, owned by the same lady, she called me and said, I'm sending you a horse. The horse had ingrown toenails. I have a sound horse. So I have an Oldenburg. I have a Holsteiner thoroughbred cross that is also now in Oldenburg. And then I have some Chris Cox trained horses. You have one a of them, very diverse herd, Santa. That is what you have. I have. But what they are is they're all people horses. My youngest horse that I got was five. I said I'd never take a horse under 10. They gave me a five-year-old Chris Cox trained cutter whose left hind hoof had a split in it. My hoof trimmer fixed the split. She now rides, prefers to ride my riders with wheelchairs. And you can see her fight with the rest of the herd to be able to ride my wheelchair kids. For my wheelchair kids, she walks herself up to that mounting wrap and plasters her body against that mounting wrap so that you can't even put a string through that. Good for her. If I find rider, she stands 90 degrees to the mounting wrap and says, go ahead and get on me. (laughs) (laughs) Good for her. Aren't they fun? Well, Santa, have you had during your journey of all of this, any pitfalls that you've had to overcome that you want to warn people about when they're starting maybe on this journey? Absolutely. The first one to do is write your charter and bylaws very carefully. And if you want to be involved with your public charity for the rest of your life, make sure there's a stipulation in there that says they can't fire you or eliminate you. Yes. Working with nonprofit boards can be very challenging. I have heard a lot about this, not to mention that I've sat on both sides of the table as a volunteer board member myself and the CEO of a not-for-profit. So yes, thank you for bringing that up. That is a very wise thing to do. Second thing, be extremely careful who you put on your board. They need to completely buy into your mission. Yes, they do. Uh, that's why I'm doing Catcher Stables today, because I founded an organization in 1992 called Rainbow Springs Stables. But the wrong man on my board, and he told me in 1999, as he fired me, that I could never make it work. And you did just the opposite, because that is how you roll. So I'm happy about that, right? That's very good. So right. what... Unfortunately, he's dead, so I can't invite him out to see my opening, my grand opening. To see everything. (laughs) Well, what are some um, wonderful moments that you have witnessed with your clients in having horses Uh in their lives? Well, there's the obvious ones you hear all the time about the kid who learns to walk 
And recently I got two families with issues of nine-year-old girls. They weren't walking. The first one wasn't even crawling. She rode my horses once and started crawling. Um, The other one is still not walking yet, but she's getting there. And because of COVID, they were being careful but they were still going through physical therapy and it turned out they got COVID from their physical therapy center twice. They canceled their physical therapist and they only come out of the house to see me. Uh, That mom needed as much help as her daughter. And that mom is now in charge of my fundraising on social media. Um, Going back a ways, I had a kid hyperactive kid, emotional disturbances. He learned to read at the age of 10, uh, 10th grade. I know because I was his teacher that year and found out that he could read. Today, he is a certified detention officer in the state of Texas, having passed the exam on the second try, even though he can't write worth a darn. Nice. His peers loved him so much in his work that they covered for him on the report and have taught him, and now he can write his own report. Uh, Another of my writers went on to be an entrepreneur. I have a writer who is legally blind, and by the way, one of my cutting horses is legally blind. And when that writer rode my legally blind horse, she never knew either of them was blind. Uh, I had a young man, he grew up to be an older man, and he's now deceased, he's with his CHA. He didn't learn to ride with me, but he came down to compete at the Top Hand Force Show under my auspices. And he and I were very instrumental in helping CHA develop IRD, which I totally believe in. Uh, we need, a, we need a, a program out there where if you want to be a an instructor the disabled and what you want to do is teach riding please go to cha go to ird and get your certificate that way yeah we're going to talk more about that with debbie who's coming on next and for those that don't know that's our instructors of riders with disabilities program where there is not necessarily a therapist involved it's truly doing what santa is doing and teaching adaptive riding to um, people with either cognitive or physical disabilities, which we'll chat about here in a moment. So thank you again, Santa, for being a part of starting that because it was such an important part. Dodie Stacy, I need to mention her name. She was um, the original founder as well of that program, and she has since passed. But it is an, a, a wonderful program that I think is one of our hidden gems that people don't really know about. They kind of know about us through our English Western Instructor Program. They know about us now through our Equine Facility Manager Program, our Composite Manual of Horsemanship, all these things. But a hidden gem is truly our IRD program, which we'll certainly talk about more here in just a bit. So, Santa, if people are listening right now and they really want to find you and know more about you, we're going to put your... Uh, website up on our um, page for this on Horses in the Morning. We're also going to put up your Facebook page for Dreamcatcher on um, Horses in the Morning. Are those the two best things that you would like us to do? Those are the very best. Um, if, if somebody's is 
GuideStar, because you can find me. And also, if you want to go to GuideStar. But yes, the Facebook page is Dreamcatcher TX gets you there. Um, we've got a LinkedIn page. There's not much on that. Instagram, if you want to see pictures. My youth, I now have a, a teen advisory board. And they're doing the Instagram page. And it's dream underscore catcher underscore stables underscore. Nice. So those are the best ways to find me. But the webpage, dreamcatcherstables.org, you've got two ways to reach me to get involved in Santa.rolling. And you can phone me through that page as well. And I do respond. Well, Santa, thank you so much for being on today. We just really appreciate having you on the show to be able to explain not only your kind of life's mission, but also um, how to help others get involved who are interested in doing this type of work. So thank you very much. Well, not only was Santa entertaining and interesting, I never thought about the diversity of your lesson program string, the actual horses you have, the diversity. I never thought about that. That's my takeaway. Yes, she had a lot of diversity, and it was fun to hear the different journeys and the backgrounds from whence they came, you know, Mm -hmm. and then they all work well for her program. There we go. Super. That that was really cool. And now we're going to get Debbie Holmes on, and she's going to talk a little bit more about teaching riders with disabilities and the CHA's IRD certification. Tell us a little bit about Debbie. That's correct. So Debbie is an instructor and former program director for the Foundation of Southern Oregon, which provides adaptive riding lessons to individuals with developmental disabilities. She has also been an instructor for Horses with Heart in Chino Valley, Arizona, and Arizona State University's adaptive riding program. Her background includes teaching riders with cognitive and physical disabilities, at-risk youth, and able-bodied riders. She served as the Special Olympics delegation head coach and coached a Division A rider who is a member of Team USA in the 2015 Special Olympic World Games in Los Angeles. Debbie's a regional director for CHA and also a certifier for us. Debbie, welcome to the show. No, thank you. Excited to have you on today. Can you go ahead and tell us exactly where in Oregon you live? So I'm in Grants Pass, Oregon, and Grants Pass is about, oh, 50 miles north of the California border. That is nice and green, isn't it? It is nice and green, yes. Yes, I like <laughs> and that. And we don't get the rain like up north, so we're kind of in a unique spot here. It's a beautiful area. Co- go ahead mm-hmm. and tell us a little bit more about your horse journey. How did it all begin? How did you get involved? So my from my dad. My dad was had horses from before I was born till probably a few months before he passed. So around age five, um, I started taking riding lessons, and I showed in seven and under classes in Western Pleasure. I had horses through probably oh mid teens, and then I was out of it till about early thirties when I bought a horse. And then I started taking college classes on husbandry and nutrition and horse equine related topics. Um, and then I had a, bought a property and started opened a boarding facility. But all this time I was working as a broker and property manager. 
But then I got sick, and so my life changed drastically. And so I decided at that point that I needed to just follow my passion, which was horses and kids. So in doing so, I traveled all over. I went to Southern California, New Mexico, uh, and Arizona to gain more knowledge. Um, I just went to different barns and, and worked with them with whatever I could do there. I landed in Arizona for quite a while, um, and I worked with the University of Arizona, and that's where I got experience working with individuals with disabilities. Uh, I got my PATH certification during that time, as well as my GALA. And then I also, well, then I moved to Northern Arizona, and that's when I started my CHA journey. (laughs) And that resulted in uh, becoming a certifier for the EWI and the IRD. Yes. And for those listening that don't know, yeah, EWI is um, English Western Instructor. And then, of course, Instructors for Riders with Disabilities, which we're going to talk more about in here in just a bit. So for those that are listening, Debbie, who might want to start teaching adaptive riding themselves, what are some suggestions that you have to give them? Well, I think first off and most importantly, they need to find a great mentor somebody they can trust who's willing to put the time in with them because it takes a lot of time uh, to train instructors. I would suggest volunteering at an adaptive riding center. If you have one close by, um, learn riding theory. However you can learn that through the internet, through books, however you can do that, that's probably the single most important piece for adaptive riding instructors. Uh, you can take lessons. Um, if, if feasible, audit an IRD certification. If there's, you know, you can afford them. If there's one close by, that will give you a tremendous amount of knowledge, and then it'll also help you assess where you need to gain more experience. Absolutely, it will. And, you know, you can audit any of our certifications, and a lot of people will do that. They'll audit first, and then they'll come participant just mm-hmm. to kind of then they kind of know so let's dive right in then i um we were talking to santa a little bit about ird it is truly i think a hidden gem of ours, right most people know us for a composite yes. manual of horsemanship they know us for english western instructor they're starting to get to know us now for equine facility manager and trail and all these things and then we have ird can you tell people a little bit more about um our ird program and how it works so, yeah, it, it is a tremendous program. I mean, I'm thoroughly versed in the PATH process. I've mentored individuals that have gone that way. And so I know both programs very well, and they both have their strengths for sure. Um, IRD, though, we are focused on safety and efficacy of our instructors. So when you... You Before you decide or think you want to go to a certification, you're going to want to get teaching hours, at least 25. You need a minimum of 25 in order to be eligible for a level one in the IRD, and then it kind of goes up from there. Our CHA website has terrific amount of information as far as the different levels for the certification and what you need to do as far as hours and knowledge that you need to have. Um, during the certification itself, it's six to six and a half days. You'll teach five lessons, um, two of which will be 
the, for writers from the center. So you'll actually be teaching individuals with disabilities. You'll present two oral reports. One will be on a physical disability and one on a cognitive, and you'll get those assigned ahead of time, and so you'll, you'll be all prepared for that. You will bring the completed IRD open book test, and then you'll also take a test for a, we call the EWI or standard test. Um, you, every lesson you teach, each of the five, uh, all your peers as well as the certifiers will give you feedback, and that will include things that we thought you were super awesome with, and then things that you could do to help improve your teaching. Um, you'll have um, individual time with the certifiers in the middle of the clinic to just check in, see how you're doing. And then at the end, you'll get your exit interview with the level that was awarded. The thing I think I want to, I always participants um, and impress upon them that we as certifiers and just as part of CHA, our goal is to help you succeed. We're not there to just critique and, and knock you down. We're there always to lift you up and explain to you what you can do to be a better instructor. And although these certifications are geared to evaluate the knowledge that you come in with to the certification, you're going to learn a ton in, during the time. Uh, the certifiers present eight workshops. Um, on various topics and mounts and dismounts and risk management, teaching techniques. So you're going to learn a bunch while you're there, as well as being evaluated on the, your skills that you came in with. That is a wonderful explanation. And for those two that are brand new to how all CHA um, certifications work, you don't have to come to one, get your level one, then wait six months to a year, come back mm, and get your correct. level two. We are mm -hmm. 100%. You can achieve whatever you're at during that six days. So in IRD, that's up to level three in cognitive and up to level three in physical. Um, and do you want to explain a little bit of the difference between cognitive and physical for those that are listening? So cognitive is going to be things that um, interfere with them, their brain function. So a cognitive disability would be autism or Down syndrome, um, ADHD or post-traumatic stress, things that affect how their brain functions. Physical disability would be something like a traumatic brain injury where it's affecting a portion of your body or cerebral palsy, again, affecting a side of your body. So something that affects your muscles, your bones, things that have that, that enable you to move and participate in your body. Very good. And the industry just recently, so this is the entire industry of um, adaptive writing, just recently came up with a terminology book that we all agreed on. So this is Path International, ourselves at Certified Horsemanship, EGALA, etc. And within that terminology, um, I think it's really important to kind of chat about that a little bit. Uh, we went down the road a little bit with um, Santa as well, that in order to call yourself a therapist, you need to be licensed, right, as either a speech-language pathologist. Just um, an occupational therapist or a physical therapist. So, do you want to dive a little bit more into that terminology and how important it is for people that are looking to start a program? 
Yeah, so as an industry, it became very clear that the general public was getting confused because we were using all kinds of different terms to maybe mean the same thing, but maybe not. Um, There was terms such as equine therapy, equine-assisted activities and therapies, or equine-assisted therapies, and it was extremely confusing. So that's why they created, um, like you said, it was a group of folks. It was it was 14 organizations or individuals, universities that got together and decided on on um, how they were going to adopt optimal tech terminology for industry wide. And of those 12, 14 in, in individuals or organizations that joined in doing this work. 12 actually did adopt the terminology and one one of them abstained and then one of them was the American Hippotherapy Association because they have a whole kind of different set of ways that they address their clients and so they opted at this point to not do that. Um, so just kind of like Christine mentioned, there are three distinct categories that they put these ter- this terminology into. It falls under the umbrella of equine assisted services. A subcategory of that would be therapy. So that would include your occupational therapist, physical, psychology, speech and language. And so that's one group. So there was five categories in there. And they decided that for that group, they were going to use therapy first language, meaning when they referred to um, using a horse with one of their clients, they would say that they're doing physical therapy using equine movement. Uh, PTs, OTs, speech, they look at the horse much different in the realm of their practice. Um, they, they're looking at the horse as a tool for them to use to help improve their client. Although I've never, they all love our horses and it sounds a little rough to say, oh, it's a tool, but it's in, it's just basically how they do. They have to set up their therapy for billing is what that kind of comes down to. So then the next group was the learning. So it's equine assisted services and under that falls learning and that's going to be equine assisted learning education, learning in organizations, or learning for personal development. So that might involve, um, say, you have a group of um, kiddos that are maybe adjudicated or in treatment foster care. You create a program a curriculum for them to learn a skill such as anger management. And you do this all at the barn. So you talk to them about it, and then you have them go out to their horses, and they are asked questions that revolve around that skill for the day, and and then they when they maybe right (laughs) maybe they don't, and then they debrief. So that's equine assisted learning that doesn't necessarily need a psychologist, but you still should have skilled people doing that. The third category they broke that into was horsemanship and that's where um, folks that are um, certified as I am we would fall under that category as adaptive riding instructors so 
they so and that one's a little bit tricky because the general population recognizes what I do as therapeutic writing, and we are trying to phase that term out therapeutic because we're not therapists, but we need to educate society first that we are adaptive writing instructors. So eventually that word will be phased out of our vocabulary. You explained that really well. (laughs) No, you did a really good job with that because it's very important, right? And it's been a really big deal in this segment of the horse Mm -hmm. industry that I don't know if many people know about it. So thank you so much for explaining that. Um, I'm going to throw an extra question in here just really quick, um, Debbie. So I'm going to put you on the spot just for a second. But (laughs) looking back to all the clients that you have worked with, um, and you don't need to Mm -hmm. name names or do anything, but is there a story that you want to share today? day, um, just to kind of let people know some kind of a really neat story that occurred? So here's, I, I told you before about the young man at Special Olympics. So this yes. is another one that always sticks in my brain. I when I was in New Mexico and I was working with a mental health professional um, doing e- psychotherapy is what we were doing. And these kids were adjudicated. They had been through the mill. We had a young man, he was about 11 or 12. He witnessed his father shoot his mom. And then, of course, then his dad gets sent to prison. And this little guy wouldn't trust anybody, of course. Like, why would he? And so we put him in a paddock area, a large paddock with a halter. And we said, go ahead and catch that horse. And we were in the paddock with him. Well, we knew he wouldn't. Typically, you can't catch that horse. That little guy, for 45 minutes, did everything he could think of, sat and cried, and and couldn't catch that horse. And we kept telling him, anything in here, in in this area by you, you can ask for help. Well, he wouldn't do it. After that time, that darn horse walked right up to him, nudged him, let him put the halter on him, and then he jumped on bareback and rode that horse. Oh, that wow. kid probably grew two inches taller that day. He found somebody that he could trust, or a, a, or a horse, an animal that he could trust through everything he'd been through to accept the help that he needed. It, it was, um, we were just floored. <laughs> I love that. How great to witness that. And what's neat about that is that the horse didn't make it easy on him. He didn't say, no. oh, you can walk right up to me. There was a process that that young man had to go through in order to be able to have that partnership with that animal in that mm-hmm. 45 minutes, you know? Wow. Well, yeah. And it highlighted to him that trust is not given easily, but yes. then once it is given, it's complete. And that's what that horse showed him, that I don't know if I can trust you, and but because of your actions and your behavior, I'm going to take that chance. And then in turn, then the little, the little guy took the chance with him. It was incredible to see that. Oh, rewarding work that you do, Debbie. So yes. um, we <laughs> have put up, and I don't know if this is correct, but the Foundation of Southern Oregon's Facebook page and also website. Would you like that as oh, links good. to you? Yep. Will that work? That okay. would be perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Well, thank you the so much. Is a, okay. It is yeah, an no. amazing place. Yeah. Tell us a little <laughs> bit more about it. Please do. 
What do they do? So the town, it's, we've only been open about a year and a half. I was contracted to do all their startups. So I did all their, you know, set up all their lesson planning, risk management, uh, protocols, employee handbooks, and whatnot, everything they needed to get started. But it is an amazing place. They have 88 acres. All services for individuals with disability is free of charge. There, no charge. I mean, and it, it's just a beautiful barn. The horses have just top-notch care and top-notch horses. The kids, they can ride if they want, if they want to do lessons. Um, we have hiking trails. They can hike. If they don't want to ride, they can come out and hike. We have small animals that alpacas and sheep and goats that they can just go out and hang out with them. Um, and it's designed so that when that child, there's no way that they can get off the property. It, it's there's They can't get up. It's all fenced. So when that child comes in, parents get to take an hour to themselves, which parents of these kids desperately need. So if they want to go for a hike or they want to sit under a tree and read a book there, once we get a, you know, in there in our hands, they know we are capable of taking care of them and they, they can go somewhere else and relax. And that is nice. to me is super important. Yes. The whole family needs that those times mm-hmm, to themselves. They do. All of us need that. They do. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Very and good. These fa- parents of special needs kids are, you know, they're on call 24 seven and they need breaks. Yes. Well, and I'll tell you, the horses provide so much to all of us, and I'm so glad that we were able to have this conversation today and really dive into our IRD program. Once again, that's Instructors for Riders with Disabilities. You can find out more at cha.horse, H-O-R-S-E. And Debbie, thank you so much for being on today. We really appreciate having you. So enjoyed having Debbie on to not only talk about the nitty-gritty of terminology and our IRD program, but also for her stories. She's had some amazing clients that she's been able to do great work with. It's it's so super to hear. Teaching people to ride horses or work with horses might be a more accurate term is rewarding at every level, whether you're teaching persons with cognitive disabilities or physical limitations or someone who scrapes together their pennies or someone who lives in a fancy neighborhood and their family owns six Mercedes. It doesn't matter what level it is. It's such a rewarding thing to do. really is. It really is. I worked at the Urban Farm years ago and we were an at-risk youth riding program. And our definition of at-risk was similar to Santa's, but we also threw the label on there that needed to not only uh, be going down an interesting path of maybe you needed to be diverted from, but that your family had no money to help you do it. So we gave riding lessons for completely free to those that qualified for that based on their income status. And then we gave full-blown 75 bucks an hour like your regular riding lessons are. So all different kinds of families and kids intermingled at the urban farm. And it made no difference because the horse was the key. And at school, these kids might never talk to each other. In other kinds of activities, they might never see each other. But at the urban farm, they became best friends. Isn't that cool? You're right. The The horse is the common thread. Correct. Yeah. The horse doesn't care what your income level is. He doesn't care no. what you do. He doesn't care what mistakes you made in the past. It doesn't Correct. care what mistakes you have in your heart that you're about to perform. Correct. <laughs> They don't know. They don't care. Live in the present. Live Live right then and there. There we go. Absolutely. 
Well, speaking of living in the present, presently, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com and find links to today's guests and topics. Don't forget to follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. Where can people follow um, CHA on Facebook? Yes, they can go to CHA Instructors on Facebook. And then, of course, our website is CHA.horse, H-O-R-S-E. There we go. We will be back again next month on which day? We are the third Tuesday of every month. There we go. Also, if you want to listen to the back catalog of the many, 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 many CHA episodes, if you go to horsesinthemorning.com, right about the middle of the page, you will see the CHA logo. Just click on that and it brings them all up. So there you go. Thanks, Coach Jen. It was fun to be with you today. We'll see you next time. 